Welcome to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's Jared Feinberg, and I am your host for today's episode. We are a week away from the NFL Draft. I am super excited about Draft Day, about Draft Weekend, but I'm also sad that the process is wrapping up. I'm looking forward to the 2022 Draft Class, but we're not there yet. We still got a week away. I got plenty of stuff to go through. So joining me this morning is the host of the Locked On NFL Draft podcast and NFL Draft analyst for the Draft Network, Trevor Sekima. Trevor, thanks for coming back onto the pod. It's good to hear your voice, bro. Yeah, Jared, appreciate you having me on, especially in a time that uh, everybody's really caring about the draft a week away. Like you said, a lot of anticipation and I'm excited. I'm excited to see where these guys finally end up after months and months of talking about them. Yeah, man, it honestly, it's been probably one of the more exhausting draft processes I've like I've seen in a long time since I started doing this, like grading and evaluating prospect prospects since 2018. This is the craziest draft process I've ever seen. So I'm kind of go, I'm going I'm going to be kind of relieved that it's going to be over because we don't have to hear all the nonsense sure. about like the narratives around Justin Fields, like, and all that. It's just been a ridiculous offseason. But, hey, seven days away from finding out who is going to be having their future of the franchise on their roster. Mm-hmm. We're seven days away from seeing Trevor Lawrence as a Jacksonville Jaguar. We're excited for that. So I know you have a lot of stuff going on today. So let's get into the thick of things. You are covering. You are now covering the Carolina Panthers and also run a draft prop draft pod that ah, draft podcast for them um as well called the cub scouts and i mm-hmm. have loved every, every single minute of those shows and it's very insightful listening from former players and for, former current coaches as well um and also hearing from you um as well the panthers are currently slated to pick eighth overall in the nfl draft they just traded for sam Darnold a few weeks ago and now it seems um they seem to be a true wild card on the back end of the top 10 uh, just because they just traded for Sam Darnold. Um, what are some of the possibilities you could see happen for the Panthers either at eight or even further down the order if they decide to trade back? Yeah, so I mean, when you look at what the Panthers could be doing in the first round, they have said that quarterback is still on the table, but I, I don't think that that's the case. I think that, you know, you want to make sure you open up all of the possible doors for a trade back, especially for a quarterback price. And so if you saying the quarterback is still on the table, that you would still love to pick one of these guys, if that in any way motivates a team to move up to your spot and select a guy that you probably weren't even going to select anyways, that's only advantageous to you. And so I understand why Carolina is is talking about quarterback, and even after they – signed Sam Darnold or traded for Sam Darnold that uh that they would say oh quarterback's still on the table everything's still on the table you know we're just going to take the best player we can I I've I've learned that in this league words can sometimes be hollow words can can lie words can can almost be whatever you want they could be manipulative but money isn't teams don't like wasting money teams don't like spending money for the sake of lies that's just that's not what happens and so i often in this league tell people to follow the money and when the panthers traded for sam darnold and immediately picked up his fifth year option that tells me he is their guy 
at least for the next two years. And I, I don't think that they're going to draft someone this year still believing that Sam Darnold could be a franchise type of quarterback for them. So because of that move, because of how swiftly they picked up the fifth year option, I believe the quarterback is is not going to be on the table for him. I think that the price that they paid in draft picks and then the compensation that they gave them lends them to put their eyes elsewhere. And I look at the left tackle spot, and that's probably the biggest area of need on the roster right now. You could look at cornerback as well, but in a draft a year ago where they spent every single pick on the defensive side of the ball, I figure they'll probably lean offense, at least for this top pick here at number eight. And so when you look at potential left tackles that they could pick here, Penny Sewell and Rayshon Slater are the big ones, and it's shaping up to be at least one of them on the board, maybe even both of them on the board. So they might even have their pick there, which bodes really, really well for, I think, what Carolina wants to do, probably how they set up their offseason back in January when this began. You know, you set up a big plan with guys that you have and potential free agents. You look at that class, you look at the draft class as well. And I really think that all things considered, Carolina navigated this pretty well because it just becomes more and more obvious that they didn't really love any of the quarterbacks in this class outside of Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, knowing that they weren't going to have a chance to go up and get him. They offered up a, a, a big haul for Matthew Stafford. Uh, they got outbid there, but they go and get a quarterback that and they were they were certainly in the Deshaun Watson market, too, before um, that got really, really murky. But I think yeah. Carolina all things considered, did everything really, really well to put themselves in a situation to where in the first round they can go get the position that they're probably targeting all along with the best players in the class to go get. So I think that they've done a really nice job. They've talked about trading back too, but I really just, it's hard for me to see Carolina trading back at this point because they need a left tackle so bad. Why would you risk it? You're sitting at eight. Don't get cute right. with it. You know, like that's that's kind of what my motto would be here is don't get cute with a position that you really, really need that has as much importance as left tackle. So I, I know that they could still trade back. Anybody could trade back. But I really do think they're honing in on offensive line at number eight. I think they're going to pick at number eight. And I think it's going to be one of Penny Sewell or Rayshon Slater. There are Panther fans on Twitter that would be absolutely livid if. The Panthers passed up on Justin Fields. If he was there at eight somehow and they end up taking uh, a Panay Sewell or a Rayshon Slater instead. And I want to remind Panther fans that sure, they, they have said they are look, they are still interested at the quarterback position for this draft, but that doesn't necessarily mean in the first round they could, they could possibly look at developmental talent. Um, later in the draft, maybe in day two or day three, more than likely day three, in my opinion. Um, and when considering trading back, you have to think that Scott Fitter, he's a former Seattle Seahawk. He was be, he was the understudy, um, behind, uh, John, John Schneider and Seattle. And of course they were in, in the twenties all the time trading back because they really had no purpose of really being in, in the, in, the later portion of the first round. So, you know, the possibility of them trading back, you know, like you said, it, it could happen, but I agree. I agree with you. I think they end up sitting still at A and take hopefully the best offensive tackle available. Either that's Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater. I could see them going cornerback potentially if Slater and Sewell are off the board. You 
You have Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn potentially mm-hmm. available as well. Um, Caleb Farley, I, I, I've seen his name starting to get back into that mix a little bit, but I doubt he'll be a top 10 pick because of those um, injury concerns. Um, but, you know, I, I'm I'm super excited for who the Panthers could take at eight. And I have to remind Panther fans again, whoever the Panthers are going to get at eight overall is going to be a good football player. It's like it you really can't go wrong with the eighth overall pick. Right. No, there's there's a lot that's that's on the table for them and especially kind of like going back to what we were saying earlier where they've set themselves up to where if the draft and the uncertainty of it plays out in a certain way, I think that they are fully prepared to have a really great haul no matter what. Like let's just say let's just say both of the offensive tackles are off the board. Right. Like let's let's talk about a reality where all right, so um, the Atlanta Falcons pick Penny Sewell for some reason. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals they take they take Rashawn Slater or whatever, and and maybe Miami takes Kyle Pitts at that point. I think that then the Lions take Jamar Chase, and no, all of a sudden you might have a quarterback on the board where maybe that's advantageous to you now if both the offensive tackles are off the board to trade back if a, if a quarterback like. Um, if Trey Lance or Justin Fields or Mac Jones are still on the board, then you could potentially move back. But also you've got a big cornerback cor- need, and then you would be able to pick whoever you want from this cornerback class. Go get Patrick Sertan. Go get J.C. Horn. So I really do think no matter what direction the Panthers go in, they're just they're overall in a really good spot in the first round at number eight. So it's it was kind of an, an offseason where I, Sam Darnold, there's there are certainly reasons to believe in him, but there's also reasons to be skeptical. Like there's yeah. a reason why the New York Jets were moving on from him, right? And so he might not be this kind of surefire, like, hey, we nailed the trade, we got our guy kind of a player. And so that's why earlier on in the offseason, I thought that Carolina might have been losers of the, the Niners trade up to number three because that meant that they could not do that anymore. They couldn't yeah. go up and get whoever they wanted between Trey Lance or, or Justin Fields or I guess Mac Jones if they really loved them. But like they didn't have that ability anymore because we know that Atlanta is probably not trading with Carolina because nope. they're an nope. division foe. So, right. you know, all that to say, like uh, earlier on in the offseason, I thought that this this was going to be tough for Carolina because I thought that if they were interested in a quarterback that they no longer really had that ability to go up and get him. But it just seems as though that was never in the cards all along. Whether or not you want to make the case that that's the right train of thought, that's, I think, a different conversation. But for what they wanted to do and what it feels like the Panthers' plan was this offseason, I think they've done a really good job. And you're right. They have put themselves in a great situation to get who they want at number eight. I have always had this thought in my mind that or throughout this offseason that um, and I'm wondering if you think the same way. David Tepper has been more aggressive than normal this year because of how close Carolina came to winning football games last year. I believe they lost eight games by one possession um, by at least one possession. So they came very, very close to winning some football a good amount of football games last year, despite the deficiencies they had on the roster. So you saw the aggressiveness towards trying to get Matthew Stafford, the capital they were willing to give up Um, their aggressiveness towards Deshaun Watson before things got murky um, down there in Houston. And then they settled down for Sam Darnold and are going to have basically a two year experiment with Sam Darnold. Does that show that the Panthers are 
where David Tepper feels like the Panthers are in a better position than they than we think? And is there a chance he thinks, okay, this team could possibly be a playoff team in 2021? I think he wanted to give the Panthers that ceiling, I suppose. And I, I go back to this all the time because this, this definitely relates to the NFL draft. People hate when you can already see a prospect's ceiling. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if it's a high floor player who you could plug in, you know what they're going to do, you know you're going to do it really well. When you don't have that allurement anymore, when you don't have that ability to convince yourself that this player could be more, all of a sudden they really lose their luster in a lot of people's eyes. Like, if they just, they, they're not special anymore. And I feel like that's what happened with Teddy Bridgewater. I think that the Carolina Panthers signed Teddy Bridgewater last year to a three-year deal thinking, yes, of course, we need a starting quarterback. We need to you know, move on from Cam Newton. We've got to get somebody in here. We don't want somebody terrible. But the thought process, I believe, was, hey – Look at what Bridgewater was with the Saints. He was really nice. Maybe that was just the building block. Maybe the best of Bridgewater is yet to come. And they looked at kind of who he was throughout his entire career, and they went, maybe maybe that's not all he is. So let's sign him to a three-year deal. Let's get him in Carolina. And I think that's why they chose Bridgewater to be the guy to move on from Cam Newton. They quickly well, – I was just going to say, they, they, they realized – this past year, that that's not the case. That nope. Teddy Bridgewater is who he has always been in his career. And, and that amounts to a good quarterback, but that's it. Not a phenomenal quarterback, not a great quarterback, not an elite quarterback, not a playoff quarterback, a good quarterback. That's about it. And I, I think that when you look at Matt Rule and David Tepper and kind of how they've gone about things, and it might, it might be David Tepper more than anything else. I think when he, the second he saw the ceiling for Teddy Bridgewater, he went, I'm out. I'm oh, like, I, like, w- like right. we're moving on. Because if you really think about it, this is the exact same situation with Sam Darnold. Darnold has his issues. Now, granted, he's, he's a much younger prospect. He went higher in the draft. He, he I, I guess there's more reason to believe in him, but it's kind of the same thing. You look at how he was in the New York Jets and you say, okay, like he was held back a little bit by the guys that, that he had around him. And I would agree with you there, but Darnold also kind of has been who he has been. Like right now, he is basically the same guy that he was coming out of USC than he is year four of his NFL career. And so I, I almost view these situations the same. And the only, the only big difference for me between Teddy Bridgewater last year for the Carolina Panthers and Sam Darnold this year for the Carolina Panthers is that if you fast forward a little bit, they didn't want to have to start a uh, to start a starting quarterback that, in which they could see their ceiling. They didn't want that, and I think that that's a little bit of I don't know if impatience is the right word by David Tepper because he clear like he just he wants to progress he wants to win if there's anybody who's holding his football team back he wants to upgrade it and so in that sense I wouldn't call it impatience I would call it a very big willingness to be a good owner to continue to to keep the franchise going up and all that kinds of stuff but I kind of view these situations a little bit the same and I don't know how much better Sam Darnold is actually going to be than Teddy Bridgewater other than the fact then. He gives you something to believe in going into the year 
where Bridgewater wouldn't have. But Bridgewater gave you something to believe in last year. Some people were like, hey, he's probably not going to be good. He's probably going to be the same guy that he has been all, all career. But I know that a lot of other people were excited. He was coming off a great tenure where he was sitting, sitting behind Drew Brees with the New Orleans Saints. He had those five games where he went 5-0 and in relief. You know, like a lot of people were excited about him. But this year there was going to be no excitement for Teddy Bridgewater because you saw the ceiling last year. And instead, Sam Darnold, there can be excitement for him this year. So I think that ultimately that's the reason why they made the deal. I I I, I don't think they're going to be a playoff team in 2021, but there's reason to think that you could convince people that they might be, you know, and I think that that's important, especially for an organization standpoint, because you were not going to be able to do that for Teddy Bridgewater. And it's hard to get guys to say, hey, a year from now, we're going to go get a great QB because then they're going to be like, what am I just wasting a year of my life? What, you know, like Carolina Panthers fans are going to sit here and they're going to be like, what am I just am, am I going to waste a year as a season ticket holder? They already know that they can't win with Bridgewater. So I feel like this move at least allows them to say like, hey, Sam might turn around this year. Sam might be good this year. And so I really I think that that's why they made this move more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And it's I was talking to Joe about this when he was on the podcast um, and, you know, he, he never understood the Tay Bridgewater move. In the first when it first happened, he never understood it because he he figured, you know, if Carolina was really wanting to go full all in on this rebuild, they wouldn't have signed Teddy Bridgewater. They they probably would have signed um someone that would be a nice serviceable quarterback that wouldn't win you a lot of games and you know, the Panthers could probably have a top five pick right now and we wouldn't be having this conversation about them you know taking offensive tackle trading for Sam Darnold all that we'd be having the conversation of what quarterback are they going to draft in at third overall or at second overall or even first overall you know and he he told me that that Teddy Bridgewater the moment they signed him Bridgewater is good enough to win you just enough games to put you out of range from taking that top quarterback, and that's what happened. They won that Washington game, and they got themselves out of range of taking a good quarterback and having to force themselves to try to trade up for a quarterback. They tried for Watson, Stafford. Now they got Darnold. You know, it it in a in a lot of ways it kind of looks like a hot mess, but there are some. There's still some things you 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 can be excited about. There there's all this talent, young talent on the roster that just like excites you so much to watch because on offense you got Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator. You got Christian McCaffrey once he's healthy, he's arguably the best running back in football. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, got Taylor Moton anchoring that right side, and hopefully soon it could be Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater anchoring that left side. For years to come. Then on defense, you got Derek Brown, Brian Burns, Eater Gross Matos. Right. Recently signed Hassan Reddick, um, Jeremy Chin. I mean, you got guys that just you can see this team has the makings of they can be a good football team in the future. I just don't know if they're going to be a wild card team this year, like you were saying. I think they'll win enough games to you know, be in those teams range, but again, if if Darnold doesn't work out, 
they're going to have to go all in on trying to trade up for a quarterback next year in the 2022 draft or even try to go after Watson if things get sorted out or something like that. We just don't know what that situation. But again, you know, fans can believe, Panther fans can believe, you know, we got the team. We were competitive last year. We came so close to winning football games. We can do it again this year, but this time we can actually win those football games and actually try to make the playoffs. But in a wide open NFC, you know, that's going to be very, very tough. And I, I just don't see Carolina sneaking in as a wild card, especially when you, there's so many question marks around Sam Darnold. I want, I want to ask you about prospects like surprise prospects that could go in the first round. And I've mocked um, in recent mock drafts, I've mocked players higher than some people expect. Um, I believe um, in my previous mock draft, I mocked Trayvon Moerig, TCU safety. It's mm-hmm. my personal safety one. Um, I mocked him to the Minnesota Vikings at 14. Um, I've had Jalen Phillips as as high as 11 to the New York Giants with all of his medical concerns. Um, you know, there there are so many players that we don't think that will be – don't think are first-round picks that could end up being first-round picks. So who are some prospects you could see come out of nowhere and end up being first-round picks in this draft? I don't I don't know if it'd be fully out of nowhere because um, there's, I think, a handful of names when you get towards the end of the draft that some people put in a first round before, but – they're not in this completely. I think Joe Tryon is one of them, edge rusher from Washington. Uh, he's yep. a really nice athletic outside linebacker type where if you get a, a team that plays an odd front or just a lot of multiple defensive fronts, then I think that he could be intriguing, certainly in a down defensive class, right? Because we might see, shoot, we might not see a defensive player get picked until probably pick 10. I think that that's where we think the first one's going to come off the board with Patrick Sertan. And the Dallas Cowboys, but after that, I mean, I think it's going to be a scarce defensive draft. We saw only 14 guys go from the defensive side of the ball last year, which was the lowest mark since 13 were taken, I believe, like in the early 2000s. So it's just kind of a trend right now, and we are seeing that people aren't very high on this defensive class. So all that to say, I think that Joe Tryon could definitely be a name that gets in there. Levi on Wusarike, his, his teammate from Washington, I think that he is – a name that a lot of people have talked about, again, another very multiple defensive lineman. He's more of that defensive tackle kind of guy, not a stand-up edge rusher. But I think that those two players can have their names full in the first round. Jameen Davis from Kentucky is a super athletic linebacker who and it just seems like the NFL is really high on. It feels like every time that his name is brought up, people talk about him as a top 50 pick, potential first-round pick. He's raw, but, I mean, you know, he's he's 6'4", 225. I mean, he's big, long. He could run. So, you know, I guess in a defensive class that you might not love at the top, just go draft the athletes and see if he can make something out of them. And so I'd say that Jameen Davis is probably another one. I feel like those are probably the big three. Uh, Rondale Moore maybe, but I, I think the NFL is probably lower on Rondale Moore to – the point yeah. where I'm I'm pretty confident he's going to be a day two pick. Like, I don't think Rondell Moore is going to sneak into the first round. I don't think Diami Brown is either, the UNC wide receiver. I, in fact, think that – I think the wide receivers are actually going to go a little bit lower than than we believe. I think that Jamar Chase is going to go top 10, but I don't think Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith are going to go until somewhere between 10 to 20. And I'd tell you that Rashad Bateman's probably going off the board like late 20s. 
maybe early 20s if a team really likes him and just doesn't trust his defensive class. But I, with Terrace Marshall, with him, you know, them, the news of them like flagging some injuries for him, I don't know if he makes it into the first round anymore. And I, I kind of felt like over four and a half wide receivers because that's the, that's the bet right now. That's the line. It's over, over under four and a half wide receivers in the first round. I thought that five was going to be a decently easy number to hit, but now I'm not so sure given that Marshall is out. It really would all depend on if, if some team wants to draft Kadarius Tony in the first round, I feel like he might be the fifth, but I'm not so sure that's the case. I think that a lot of teams like Tony, but I don't think they like him enough to make him a top 32 pick. So I don't know. That was a little bit of a tangent of a conversation. Those are a couple of guys that I could see that are floating around mock drafts in and out. I'm a big Terrace Marshall fan. I have him as my wide receiver three. And oh, nice. Hearing th- and hearing that um, he may not even be drafted in the first round just breaks my heart. But now I realize, you know, some teams going to get a steal out of Terrace Marshall in the second round, hopefully. Um, and, you know, I, I I feel like with this wide receiver class, like a few years ago, um, the class with DK Metcalf, um, AJ Brown, like we didn't see a run on wide receivers until day two. I think we're going to see that happen again this year because of just how deep this wide receiver class is. I I tell Panther fans all the time that are kind of interested in wanting a Jalen Waddle or Jamar Chase at eight because the Panthers just lost uh, Curtis Samuel to Washington. I, I tell them you can get some good talent late day two, throughout day three because there are still going to be some good wide receivers available um, later in this draft. So I'm not too worried about taking a wide receiver if I'm the Carolina Panthers, more specifically like a slot, speedy guy, um, gadget type of player, the same type of player that Curtis Samuel was for most of his career in Carolina. Um, But, you know, just watching this wide receiver class, I only evaluated 27 receiver prospects because of school, all that couldn't really get to everyone, but just how good this group is. I I'm just, it gets me super excited as a former wide receiver from high school, just seeing all these good different types of receivers available potentially in day three that I graded probably in like day two. I'm like, Ooh, this gets, gets me excited, so, so excited to see all these talented guys still be available. And some of them could could go undrafted. That's how deep this class is. So I, I'm super excited about the wide receiver class. I want to know your thoughts on the class real bit, or real quick, and then um, I'll let you go. I, it's It's another deep class. You know, we talked about last year, oh, could this be the most wide receivers ever taken in a draft? And I think that we got 35 was the number of wide receivers that we got in last year's draft, which was the most since 2008. And and like that's a lot of wide receivers, but it wasn't record breaking or anything. I think this draft's going to be a little bit different because there's not as much old Norman at the very top. You know, we saw Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, um, uh, Jalen Rager, like all of these guys, Brandon Ayuk, like all of these players going super high in the draft and I don't think we're going to see as many first rounders this year we're not going to see that kind of buzz but in the mid rounds there's so many great guys to like Elijah Moore oh I forgot to mention Elijah Moore as a as a potential guy who could sneak into the first round Tylen Wallace um, Sage Surratt Amari Rogers Dwayne Eskridge 
Nico Collins, Amon Ross, St. Brown. I mean, like, I'm just listing off dudes kind of from the top of my head that I feel like could go somewhere in the second round or in the mid rounds. And there's just the great thing about having a wide receiver class like this year's and last year's is even if you don't have the capital or the means to select one of the very top, one of those stud all around guys, there is a lot of preference players throughout the draft. Do you need a smaller, shifty player who wins with separation and can play in the slot? Okay, great. We got you. There's plenty of wide receivers to choose from. Do you want a guy who can be a quick hit kind of a player? Screens, slants, guys who could do a lot of work after the catch, use them in mesh and dig concepts. Like all the, of those. There's, what'd you say? Plenty of those. Yeah. There's plenty of those as well. Do you want a vertical stretching player, a guy who can get off press coverage, a guy who loves just streaking up the sideline, doing work on the sidelines like that? There's players like that as well. And so I just feel like contested catch guys as well over the middle, players who don't separate super well, but they're beasts in the air. There's a lot of these types of receivers. No matter what type you're looking for, you can fill your role a lot better. Like with Carolina, they've got a great, I think, all-around wide receiver and a stud in, in DJ Moore. He could do a lot for you, but he's often just such a great after-the-catch kind of wide receiver. Get the ball in his hands early, and he can make magic happen. Robbie Anderson, he's the deep threat guy for you. You might need a, a you might need a contested catch guy. Maybe a Tylen Wallace makes a lot of sense. A Nico Collins, a Sage Surratt, you know, like a Seth Williams. All of these guys where it's just hey, throw it up to him and let him let him beat somebody in the air. And so there's plenty of those kinds of players because there's plenty of a lot of different kinds of players. And that's what's so fun about a deep wide receiver class. And you know, a lot of people say like, oh, you don't need to pick wide receiver early. You can wait on it. Well. To an extent, right? Because you still want to get the guys who are really good at what you're trying to get them to do. You want to get the best players you can at the roles you want to fill. But it does make for a, a great way to round out a a draft class, knowing if you have a wide receiver need, you could pick one up probably anywhere between rounds one and four. When when um, I know you got to go here soon, but I just want to get this quick thought out. There are some people that have Devontae Smith, wide receiver one. I have no problems mm-hmm. with that. There are some people that have Rayshawn Bateman as wide receiver one. I don't have a problem with that because we all see players differently, but also it just goes to show how much people like this wide receiver class top mm-hmm. to bottom. Um, so I'm really excited to see where these guys go. I'm hoping Jalen Waddle can come into the league and just light the world on fire because he did that when he was – he could have, he could have definitely won the Heisman in my opinion had he stayed healthy. I I truly believe that. I I think he would have won it over anyone else. He, he was on pace for an insane year in just a 10 12 game season um shortened by covid. So really excited to see these receivers grow and hopefully seeing them um succeed at the next level. Trevor, thank you so much for joining. It was uh, a pleasure to have you on again. Yeah, appreciate it, Jared. Anytime, man. Always great talking ball with you. Yes, sir. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys soon. Peace.